You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and today I have the distinct pleasure of having Dr. Clint Lawrence, a physician, professor of medicine, and a singer-songwriter, which uh, puts him in a sort of a rarefied category uh, in that um, Dr. Lawrence has two passions, um, one medicine, one music, and I think it's a rare individual that's fortunate enough to have one passion in their life that they get to pursue uh, as a profession or an avocation, but to have two major areas uh, that you can pursue uh, passionately, uh, which you do, uh, and skillfully, which you do at a high level. Um, I I think uh, you're a very uh, lucky man, uh, Dr. Lawrence. Uh, I, I get a sense that you feel the same way. Well, Ron, uh, thank you very much, uh, and thank you for having me on your program. Yeah, I am indeed very fortunate and blessed to have uh, been a physician for this many years and to be able to also uh, pursue my interest and passion in songwriting. Well, I want to focus on on the area of of medicine for a bit, Um you specialize in an area of pulmonary medicine that is even more focused on lung transplants. That's correct. And um, certainly this field has evolved as the field of transplant medicine has over the last few decades where there may be um, a significantly larger number you can you can tell us uh, of lungs that are available uh, for transplantation um, for a variety of reasons whether it is because um, we are better at uh, retrieving those um, those lungs from individuals who have passed away or whether more people are signing up to be a donor um, we know that um, uh, the need is there, and that uh, it, it is such a dem- there is such a demand that there are people actually dying. So um, every day, at an astounding uh, rate, um, because of the uh, the the inability to um, have access and uh, the availability of of lungs for transplantation. But let's um, let's start on the more positive side here, and and talk about. Um, how medicine has advanced and and uh, when it is that actually you cultivated this specialty uh you didn't start off from day one uh right out of medical school or did you that's correct uh, when i was in medical school and early in my training lung transplantation was not something uh, on the radar screen uh, i was fortunate to get involved in the early 80s when i was at uh, baylor college of medicine and in the methodist hospital in houston uh, with Dr. DeBakey and team when we first started doing heart-lung transplants and then evolved into doing uh, lung transplants as time went along. Uh, I uh, eventually spent some time at Stanford and was recruited to, to Emory in Atlanta uh, in 1993 uh, as the medical director of the program to establish uh, the uh, program. And this is, to this day, the only lung transplant program in the state of Georgia. 
So I've been fortunate to see the evolution of lung transplantation through these decades. And uh, there have been a number of advances technologically uh, and uh, as far as the medications we use for immunosuppression. Uh, Currently in the country, uh, around 1,800 lung transplants are performed each year. Uh, And the uh, overall survival of lungs is not quite as good as other solid organs like the heart, liver, kidney, because the lungs are very delicate, exposed to both the uh, air as we breathe and to the bloodstream. And, but these can be very life-saving, and I have uh, several patients who are more than 20 years out uh, uh, who may be listening as we, uh, as we speak. Uh, one individual is approaching her 25th year following lung transplantation, uh, one of the longest survivors in the world. So for individual patients, it can be a very uh, life-saving and life-sustaining uh, procedure. On the other hand, if you look globally, uh, at this point in time, we were we uh, transplant lungs that are recovered from individuals who have suffered some catastrophic brain injury and who are declared brain dead. And uh, unfortunately, if, uh, there are uh, not enough uh, donors to go around. I looked at some data last night from the United Network for Organ Sharing. And uh, one impressive uh, statistic is that uh, the number of individuals listed for lung transplant and for other organs, currently there's about 80,000 individuals listed for all types of transplants in this country. And there will be about 30,000 transplants performed this year. The negative side of this is about one person each hour will pass away on a waiting list for some type of of transplant, whether it's heart, lung, liver, or kidney, because of lack of sufficient donors. And so we would encourage all listeners to consider uh, being an organ donor, which can be uh, very easily done on one's driver's license. Who are, um, who are the recipients um, of these transplants, um, Dr. Lawrence? Is it... Um, all across the uh, spectrum of age, um, and um, are you involved in the transplantation of lungs for infants? Um, are there specialists? Are there pediatric uh, pulmonology transplant uh, specialists? Very good question. Our program is for adult uh, transplants. Fortunately, uh, the number of uh, transplants required for children is small. Uh, and for infants, even smaller. So our program focuses on adults. And these, uh, you know, the usual types of lung diseases that lead to transplantation, there's a most common disease now is something called pulmonary fibrosis, in which the lungs uh, become scarred and individuals uh, become progressively impaired as far as their breathing. Uh, second leading uh, need for transplant would be uh, emphysema, uh, usually from uh, cigarette smoking and individuals who have stopped that that habit, fortunately. Cystic fibrosis, a congenital disease of the lungs, and some miscellaneous uh, disorders, including pulmonary hypertension, 
uh, and those are the predominant types of uh, diseases and, and conditions which um, often take uh, years uh, to develop as opposed to infants who are not yet subject to the sum total of those um, contributing factors uh, including years of bad lifestyle habits is that right that's correct um, in 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 the case of adults, um, does that include um, late teens, early twenties? Is that the beginning uh, age range? There's sort of an artificial, uh, arbitrary uh, age cutoff. So we think uh, eighteen and over would be the adult population. Uh, in our program, we could consider uh, ages sixteen and above, but. Uh, Usually 18 and above is grouped into the adult group. 16 to 18 is in an adolescent group. It usually goes with pediatrics, and, and 12 and below is clearly ch- children. What about the, um, the, the age for um, a, a donor? Is there a, a, a range um, within which you scrutinize even further for, for healthy um, lungs, but uh, is there a... a a uh, an age range and a, and a cutoff. You you know when you get into your sixties uh, and seventies, you, your your lungs have uh, uh, gotten a little too old to, well, to be transplanted. The, the lungs are very delicate, and so uh, you know the younger the better. But as far as donation in general, uh, there's not really an upper age limit. Uh, for example, cornea transplants up to age seventy, and I myself am uh, the recent recipient of a cornea transplant. For lungs, uh, usually up into the mid-50s or as much as 60, but the more important factor is the quality of the lungs. If there's lack of a smoking history, if by all of our clinical parameters these are healthy lungs uh, that are better than the ones that the patient is dying with, then we would we would look at them. So uh, as far as someone who's considering being an organ donor, don't let age uh, discourage you from making that uh, positive commitment. You and I had a brief conversation uh, off the air about um, uh, the procedure for for screening uh, lungs, and and I'm wondering whether there is um, um, a lot of uh, time expended in actually uh, or at least a lot of attention focused on the specific lung that is uh, uh, going to be uh, a donor lung, and and, and uh, I'm wondering if you're uh, you're you're, you're uh, doing a um, uh, sort of an anatomical uh, um, health assessment uh, of of the lung, uh, along with uh, whatever lifestyle factors you're you're aware of, uh, a person. Uh, could have uh, uh, led a very healthy life and seemingly uh, be young enough to have uh, uh, healthy lungs, but there are some factors which uh, you you discover some conditions that you discover. Well, one uh, one of the uh, questions you're raising uh, deals with the process, and so when someone is evaluated for lung transplantation and they're eventually uh, accepted and listed. Uh, it will be decision made, do they need both lungs transplanted or just one lung, and if just one lung, which one? And that uh, makes a factor. Uh, there is a, a, a system whereby uh, a patient uh, is determined to have a score called
called a uh, LAS score, lung allocation score, based upon their disease and the likelihood of them uh, dying on the waiting list and the likelihood of them surviving for a year after transplant. And once uh, that patient goes on the waiting list, then organs are offered based upon uh, the highest score for a given lung or set of lungs that match the individual's basically for blood type and size. Uh, and then a number of other uh, uh, factors come into play. And and are you the critical um, element in, in that scoring process? Well, the team, uh, this is all uh, a transplant team of which I'm a part, uh, but the patient as they are evaluated are uh, determined how high the, the score is. And so the sicker the individual, the more likely they are to pass away. They go to the top of the list when the organ allocation is made. We're, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the medical dimension uh, to uh, Dr. Clint Lawrence, uh, and then we're going to get into the musical dimension. We're here with Dr. Clint Lawrence. I'm Ron Camacho, your host here at the Business Hour. We're going to take a quick break and be back with Dr. Lawrence in just a bit. This is Denise Simon. 18 hours a day, I live in a world as an intelligence analyst. What I find is reprehensible, what I find is terrifying, what I find is treasonous. The mainstream media has completely failed the American people. So join me for the Denise Simon Experience every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is Dr. George from Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps, a chronic sinus infection, or allergies that are either undertreated or have never been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we use state-of-the-art equipment so you can see the problem. You'll be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment because we believe in old-fashioned medicine where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery, correction of a nasal septal deviation, and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office, getting you back to work the next day. And you can rest assured that all options will be discussed before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. If you'd like to make an appointment, call 404-591-9100 or reach us on the web at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Dr. Clint Lawrence. We've been talking about his specialty, which is pulmonary transplantation and what goes into uh, finding healthy lungs, uh, assessing the lungs uh, for uh, transplant. And I want to talk about that larger condition. Uh, y- you had mentioned to me that uh, that there were uh, one person per hour um, dying because of the uh, 
uh, a lack of uh, lungs, the inavailability of, of, of lungs for uh, for transplantation. Actually, that's that's for all organs. Ron. Oh, that's for all organs. For okay, all organs. I I, I, uh, I stand corrected. Uh, my apologies. That's still an astounding number. You know, Thirty thousand a year, uh, rounding that off, is a. Uh, that's a lot of people uh, waiting uh, for uh, for an organ transplant, um, and um, I, you know, I, if there are listeners out there who want to know more about, besides uh, signing the back of your license, you might want to learn more about organ transplantation. And I'm I'm going to look into having the uh, Georgia uh, Organ Donors uh, um, Organization on the program. In fact, um, so if anyone's listening out there and. Uh, uh, wants to contact uh, the station, uh, let me know. But otherwise, uh, we'll be contacting the Georgia Transplant Organization. And you can Google Georgia Transplant. Uh, or, uh, because we have listeners uh, regionally, nationally, and internationally, uh, con- Google transplants in your area, your city, your your region, your state, your, uh, your nation, and uh, see um, how you might be uh, involved in supporting uh, the efforts of the uh, plant, uh, the organ donor organizations, uh, so that you can help to cut that number of thirty thousand people, and that's just in the United States. Is that correct? The thirty thousand. These data are for the United States. That's yeah. correct. Right? Worldwide, that would be uh, uh, much larger. Uh, in fact, uh, I dare say significantly larger because uh, uh, people. Uh, because the the field of medicine in many countries, uh, developed and semi-developed, uh, isn't what it is here uh, in the U.S. Um, we touched on this, but you're sort of generally characterizing, uh, Dr. Lawrence, uh, how uh, we've advanced. Uh, what are the, the two or three key factors in, in where we are now versus, say, 30 years ago? That's a very good question. One of the major advances has been in the area of immunosuppression. Uh, you know, uh, transplants were first att- attempted back in the 1960s of all the different uh, solid organs, including lungs. The first attempted lung transplant was in 1963 in Mississippi. Um, but the immunosuppression was very crude. In the late 70s, uh, cyclosporin was first developed for uh, kidney transplants. And by the early 80s, uh, th- this was added to uh, uh, prednisone and imuran. And then there have been a number of sort of uh, analogs of that that have come along. But just the change in immunosuppression beginning in the 80s uh, made it uh, feasible to perform uh, these transplants. And there continue to be advances in that area. Um, The surgical uh, approaches were pretty much refined in in the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, and you know, one of our challenges now is the side effects of the medicines that people take because the combination of medicines leads to hypertension, diabetes, hypercholesterolemia, and all of the effects of those. And so uh, we have ongoing challenges to develop more, you know, more targeted, more specific ways of uh, tricking the immune system uh, rather than just suppressing it with all of the side effects. So it's it's actually uh, ensuring the success of the the, the transplant uh, uh, following the procedure where we've made many of the advances. Exactly. It, one one sub theme to this program has always been, and, and listeners are endlessly fascinated by how any uh, professional got to where they are um, today, 
and 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 we still have yet to talk about uh, music and that dimension of of who you are, um, which could could very well be, and could very well have been your sole uh, profession, um, so to speak. Um, but we'll hold off on that and 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 uh, tell us uh, how uh, medicine became what was the evolution the the earliest sure. the embryological stages if you will uh of of you um thinking about and eventually going to medical school well it my story is is one of uh serendipity i had really no thoughts of a career in medicine or science when i went to the university of texas uh so long ago i don't want to mention the exact date uh, and I went. Uh, I was a liberal arts major. Uh, had ideas of being an English uh, professor someday, writing the all-American novel, and uh, a songwriter. And I was basically in the mold of uh, Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, Neil Young, uh, as a folk singer when I, I went to the University of Texas. But in the spring of my freshman year, I was out of money, and the best-paying job I could find in Austin, Texas, was working as an orderly at Brackenridge Hospital. And I had never been around sick people before, and I still remember to this day a Mr. Cunningham, who was an uh, elderly uh, black gentleman who was crying out in pain from an amputation of a leg, which we would now call phantom limb pain. And I, to me, it was like the hardest thing I could imagine being a doctor, but I thought, well, I think I'll give it a try. So I went over and changed my major, and the rest, as they say, is history. And that's how I got into into medicine. And then I got into uh, transplantation again when I was uh, at Baylor and Methodist Hospital, and Dr. DeBakey decided to restart heart transplants in 1984, and I was asked to join the team as a pulmonologist and immunologist, and I asked him about uh, doing heart-lung transplants because all these... Uh, lung diseases that I was seeing and he sent me off to Stanford to learn how they did that and I came back and then my career took a, a turn uh, into transplantation which is uh, you know, some 30 years later uh, that's uh, been my primary, uh, primary uh, role now. Not that we want to become a, uh, a, uh, a cheerleader for the recruitment uh, physicians but uh, but why not? Um, I I, th- I think um, that story uh, is a reminder that uh, there are a lot of people out there who may not think think that uh, medicine could be there in their future. And I, I know we have young listeners out there, and uh, 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 very often we we, we want to offer a little bit of advice to someone who might be thinking of a of a given career. In this case, I think uh, uh, first I, I I want to say. Uh, there may be a future uh, and a professional path that many of you uh, can take uh, that you're just not aware of. Uh, and if you're lucky enough to have uh, the inspiration uh, of, of, of something um, uh, like a patient experiencing phantom limb pain that sort of uh, triggers, uh, in your case, maybe a compassion uh, that led to uh, medicine, uh, and given that you were in a hospital environment, uh, it sort of all added up. Um, but for a lot of uh, uh, young people out there, uh, you, you don't have to um, uh, have a cl- crystal clear uh, moment. Um, you just might 
uh, give some thought to this uh, this profession, which uh, which really does help so many people. We've been talking about uh, helping people live through uh, lung transplants, uh, but there are a lot of areas of medicine that that improve the quality of life as well as longevity and just help people uh, stay alive. Uh, so, if there are any listeners, young folks out there, um, don't overlook that a career uh, in medicine could be for you. And um, I mean, I would echo. I think compassion is is a key. Uh, uh, feature that one needs, and I would broaden it to uh, uh, healthcare in general. You know, we have an aging population, and it does take a team uh, doctors, nurses, and a variety of allied uh, professionals, uh, and uh, it's worthwhile considering. Yeah, in fact, I'm not beyond uh, mentioning that it's one of those areas, particularly in this country, and granted, there may be uh, uh, listeners outside of uh, the U.S., uh, um, but particularly. In this country, as well as others, uh, the field of healthcare is is not going to go out of style. The need is not going to go away. So, if there are listeners out there uh, who who think uh, are young enough, or or maybe even older, because you and I did have a conversation about uh, folks uh, who later in life, in their thirties, and even occasionally um, a little later, that decide uh, a career in medicine is for them. Uh, oftentimes with some exposure uh, to uh, the field uh, but uh, the 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 larger umbrella of uh, biomedical um, uh, disciplines you know is something that uh, I think a lot of uh, young people might consider um, I, I want to now um, turn to another um, uh, what I'm calling a full-blown passion because it's it's the other, um, Clint Lawrence. It's sure. Clint Lawrence, uh, singer, songwriter, uh, and uh, a musician, and and even producer. Uh, is that right? Well, I'm mean, I'm listed as a producer on my two CDs. Um, but yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And we've talked a little bit about this. But to me, you know, when we go to see the doctor, you or I, we're opening ourselves up and sharing intimate parts of our lives and and having someone help us. And as a songwriter, you're sort of turning that around. You're reaching out to uh, people uh, and giving of yourself back to them. And But the common denominator in all that is the people. And so uh, both medicine and songwriting allows you to touch individuals and touch their lives in some way. Um, and my songwriting uh, springs from a variety of sources. Um, I uh, sometimes get ideas from my own life experiences, uh, both uh, positive and, and negative, and then uh, other times uh, from current events. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have two CDs that I uh, currently have out, and I'm going back into the studio this next week to uh, record some some new material, uh, two of the songs related to uh, things that have been happening uh uh, in our um, uh, world uh, related to Ebola. We're going to uh, drill down uh, and, and, and learn a little bit more about um, how uh, medicine may have uh, influenced uh, your, your music and, and possibly vice versa, uh, as well as um, talking about specifically some of your, your songwriting um, and uh, some other dimensions of, uh, uh, of music in your life. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to go from uh, Dr. Clint Lawrence uh, to Clint Lawrence, singer-songwriter, and uh, we'll be talking about music right after this break. This is Denise Simon. 18 hours a day, I live in a world as an intelligence analyst. 
What I find is reprehensible. What I find is terrifying. What I find is treasonous. The mainstream media has completely failed the American people. So join me for the Denise Simon Experience every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and today we are with Dr. Clint Lawrence and uh, uh, making the turn uh, here uh, in the program where we go uh, from uh, Dr. Clint Lawrence, physician, to Clint Lawrence, singer, songwriter, and, and music producer. And I, I will say, um, I apologize to uh, listeners. We we were we were going to have um, uh, some music, but uh, you know there are some digital limitations these days, and we don't happen to have the uh, the music in a file format uh, that uh, syncs with our online broadcast. So uh, we're not going to be able to play uh, some of Clint's music. But I I but we can certainly talk about it. And I I want to. Um, talk specifically about a couple of pieces, um, one of them uh, being from the sands of Iwo Jima to the cliffs of Normandy. Yeah. Uh, is a, Tell us about that song. Yeah, and let me just mention that if anyone wants to uh, listen to these songs, you can Google Clint, like Eastwood, Clint, and Lawrence, like Arabia, music, Clint Lawrence music. 
we'll, you'll be able to find it or go to my website, www.clintlawrencemusic.com. From the Sands of Iwo Jima to the Cliffs of Normandy, I wrote that song 20 years ago originally uh, for my father. You know, he's now passed on. Uh, and his generation, my dad and his identical twin, they were uh, Marines in uh, World War II in the Pacific. And I was always uh, impressed and enamored by the World War II generation. Uh, and so wrote that song, played it for my dad uh, while he was still with us. Uh, in 2009, I actually visited Normandy and uh, standing on the cliffs uh, where our uh, troops had uh, so bravely fought and played that song, and it's one of the songs that's most meaningful uh, to me. Um, it actually gets the most uh, airplay as far as streaming online, and uh, if either uh, Tom Hanks or Clint Eastwood are out there listening, I think this would be a great uh, theme song for uh, a new movie about uh, World War II that I'm sure they must be working on. You, you, I'm going to interject here, um, uh, Clint. Uh, you mentioned going to uh, to Normandy and and uh, standing on Omaha Beach. Uh, if uh, anyone should be fortunate enough to go and pay homage uh, uh, to uh, the Americans, the British, the the Canadians, uh, um, all of whom um, had significant losses in in the uh, D-Day invasion. But when you look at those cliffs. You, you you realize what they were up against that it was uh, a massive act of heroism it, it really is and in fact on the the, the CD arrows from a warrior's quiver the photos are taken of those cliffs uh, and you can actually see uh, the point to hawk where the rangers climbed up the uh, the cliffs to uh, you know fight the germans there uh, it's a very emotional experience to visit there. It's it's a very uh, uh, it's a religious experience almost. It, it really is, and in fact, um, the cemetery that is just hundreds of yards away from those very cliffs um, that is uh, covered with uh, crosses and some stars of David um, is a, uh, a memorial to the American lives that were lost. And again, there were Canadians and there were British uh, as part of that, that invasion, and they have uh, cemeteries uh, as well. Um, but it was a very solemn experience for me, um, and actually I found that there were uh, not a lot of Americans from what I could hear, um, and in fact there were many uh, uh, French families young families uh, there with children people uh, 30-somethings with their kids who were very reverent in large measure I believe because their fathers or grandfathers fought alongside of uh, or, 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 or were part of the villages in the Normandy area that our troops helped to uh, um, save from uh, the uh, invasion of the, of the Germans. Oh, I agree. And the people of Normandy, uh, they, they still, to this day, after several generations, I think they love the Americans. Uh, it's a little bit different in Paris. It, well, it is, actually. I mean, and I could I could hear it in hushed tones. There were uh, tones of, of, of reverence that were there in appreciation. And, you know, uh, whenever you have a, uh, a despotic power uh, that is uh, killing uh large uh, numbers of people in any nation and uh, 
and a, a country like the U.S. comes to your aid, I think that people from that country have a, a, a sense of appreciation for, uh, uh, in this case, significant loss of lives, which is what your song focuses on, is the heroic nature of those troops there, as well as Iwo Jima. And, and, and speaking of uh, uh, um, uh, Clint Eastwood and uh, his... Uh, uh, movie, uh, Letters from Iwo Jima. Yes. He captures uh, some of that same heroic spirit. And Flags of Our Fathers, uh, you know, the same, same sort of issue. So um, it was indeed a heroic time, and uh, is one of the lines in the song is, is that, uh, you know, that there's so few of them left, and uh, each day there are fewer World War II veterans left. I- a national treasure. Clint, I want to. Um, this is your first um, um, CD and, and, and album uh, entitled "Arrows from a Warrior's Quiver." Uh, what is that? Uh, what is that title? Uh, yeah, the title uh, and the title track. That's taken from Psalms one twenty seven, uh, and you know, basically that uh, uh, blessed is a man who has. Uh, uh, many children, uh, like arrows and the uh, warrior's quiver. And I was blessed with uh, four children. Um, and those are my uh, arrows and my quiver. And then I have two uh, grandchildren, which are my little arrowlets. And they're all featured in this uh, in this album as well. And so the, the, the song and the title was uh, it's a, just a tribute to my, to my children and my grandchildren. Tell me about uh, the old man by the harbor. Ah, uh, interesting. Uh, that is one of these uh, songs that came out of an experience. I was uh, visiting in San Francisco, and uh, down on the wharf there was uh, a homeless man who uh, was pushing a cart uh, of his belongings and uh, just actually didn't interact with him, but I had this thought of what if what if we struck up a conversation you know uh, would he change places with me Uh, would I want to change places with him Uh, and uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a nice song uh, about that. I, I think what it exemplifies is uh, a, a great deal of your compassion, uh, Clint. I, I, I think uh, for a uh, a person who has achieved great heights professionally in the field of medicine, to be able to empathize uh, for that moment with the plight of this homeless man and be inspired to write this song, The Old Man by the Harbor, um, I think it exemplifies uh, the compassion uh, that uh, crosses over into these two passions that you have, uh, medicine and music. Uh, like a lot of singer-songwriters, you draw from experiences, ups and downs in your life. I think that um, some of these uh, songs uh, reflect uh, that. I won't have you tell us necessarily about uh, the Montana brown-eyed girl, uh, or um, or maybe I will. Uh, maybe uh, that uh, is um, uh, a song to, for you to uh, share a little bit of the background on. I, I'll, I'll, I'll counter, or I'll contradict myself here and say, uh, tell us a little bit of my well, Brown Eyed Girl. 
Let me just say that, that on my website there is there is one link there that tells the backstory on all these songs. Uh, and so you can find out more about that there. That's right. And let me interrupt you because I, I let me be the guy who says uh, com is what you might want to bring up. And you could probably bring it up even as you're listening to uh, this program. Uh, but uh, go ahead, Clint. And uh, I gather this will be a web archived uh, for later listening for those who can't listen to it at the present. So uh, let me just di- – I want to I want to diverge from that for a minute to say that the first song was about my, my children with family, and the last song on the CD is called The Night Night Song. And that song, as each of my four children came along, spaced out over many, many years, I wrote a new verse. And so there's four verses to that song. Like, or when I sang it to my children, it was a cappella because you can't hold a child and give them a bottle and play a guitar at the same time. So, you know, this CD was some family things and some other things. But, you know, uh, out of uh, relationships and failed relationships come song material. And probably the one song on the track that uh, uh, many uh, individuals can relate to uh, if they've been through uh, uh, traumatic divorces is Gravy Train. Uh, and uh, again, the backstory of that is, is in the uh, website as well. Some of the patri- another patriotic song that sort of uh, is paired with uh, From the Sands of Iwo Jima to the Cliffs of Normandy is Ellis Island. Now, Ellis Island, if anyone's ever been there, it's, it was a very moving experience. And so the song Ellis Island came out of my first visit to that facility back in the 80s. I later wrote it, uh, and basically the guide told the story of what it was like passing through Ellis Island. And that stuck with me. And uh, it's interesting, different people will relate to different songs. And so I've played Ellis Island out in various venues, and and someone will inevitably come up and say, well, you know, my my grandparents or great-grandparents passed through Ellis Island, and I really relate to that song. Many millions of Americans um, actually have uh, ancestry that goes back uh, through um, Ellis Island. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I visited Ellis Island, uh, you have that sense of... Uh, this being a place that was the uh, the point of entry for people whose uh, twelve million, yeah, twelve, 12 million, million peoples whose hopes and dreams were about to come alive. Uh, there were a few people maybe that uh, were waylaid uh, and 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 did not get to leave Ellis Island and 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 get to Manhattan or the shores of New Jersey. But uh, it's it's really a very inspirational place and a very key. Uh, 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 entree to America for uh, many, many, many millions of people with many millions today who have ancestors that, that came through Alice Island. So uh, um, I'd say that's a song that people might want to uh, uh, take a listen to. Um, Let me. We're going to take a break, Clint. When we come back, uh, hold that thought. Uh, we're going to talk more about some of the, 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 the other songs, but also about the relationship to, uh, between music and, uh, and medicine. We're here with Dr. Clint Lawrence, also Clint Lawrence, singer-songwriter. We'll be back with Clint right after this break. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog. 
is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Hi, I'm Ray Bowman, hoping you'll join us each Friday at noon for our new show, Food and Farm, brought to you by FeedStuffsFoodLink.com, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Dr. Clint Lawrence, also Clint Lawrence, singer, songwriter, producer. And um, Clint, you had a thought right before the break. Yeah, I wanted to share something with you. So I I got into uh, songs uh, back in high school when I heard my first Hootenanny and wanted to become a folk singer bought my first guitar on layaway at age 15 which i still have after all these years and uh, when i was in college and started writing songs i recorded some on a reel-to-reel recorder and then when i went off to medical school i left those with a neighbor and forgot all about that reel-to-reel well some many years later my oldest son by sheer happenstance because i was moving different states all around he befriended someone whose grandfather had my tape and got in touch with me and I'd forgotten about it. He sent me the tape and there were some of my songs that I had written when I was like 20 years old. Wow, what a, what a great two of those piece songs, of memorabilia to come across. Two of those songs are on this CD. Uh, one of them is Sleepy Town, which is the first song I ever wrote uh, and I, I just had to add one more verse to it to make it, make it fit. And the other one was Hurry Up, Sun Up, which I'd written at about the same time, which was kind of in a uh, mama's and uh, papa's uh, type of uh, uh, arrangement. And so I had to include those on this, and I still have some of the others on that reel-to-reel that I converted to stuff. So, well, well, tell us about those two songs. So tell, what, what, what's Sleepy Town about? Well, Sleepy so Town is, is, for, is a first love song. You know, it's, you know, uh, age 20 being in love for the first time and it's sort of you know uh, being in love losing love when you're at that age what's it all about sort of a fantasy but it's got saxophone with it and it's a bluesy song uh because i actually wrote it in new orleans and it's kind of a bluesy type of song it's very different song speaking of saxophone i so that i don't forget you know your your songs are nicely orchestrated uh you, you've got some great uh, harmonica uh, yeah. A couple of uh, your yeah. songs. Uh, Tom and, and Wolf locally did gr- the groups yeah. of uh, musicians, um, uh, w- w- which is the producer side. Well, of let me what you d- do. You're, give you're credit here. Ranger producer. I have four children. Uh, uh, Brian, uh, the oldest, is the one who discovered that. Uh, David is my son, who is an attorney and uh, redeemed himself, as I say, by co-producing my two grandchildren. 
Craig, who uh, is a graduate of Berkeley College of Music and produces the CD, and Courtney, who is a staff sergeant in the United States Marine Corps in D.C. and uh, and the Commandant's own Drum and Bugle Corps. But Craig graduated from Berkeley College of Music uh, with a degree in music and a special focus of studio recording. So all I had was recording done here with David Truran, a friend of mine, in a home studio of me and a guitar. Craig took that into the studio, and I went in with him and said, well, this is what I hear. And so, for example, from Sands of Iwo Jima, I wanted it to be really military, you know, with the drum and the bugle and the uh, violin and where you could just almost visualize these guys getting up and charging the shore. Are both sons musicians on that piece? Uh, Craig is uh, he does the bass on it as well and but you know he would bring in so I would say this is what I hear and he would bring in these musicians into the studio record it mix it the we recorded the harmonica here with my friend Tom Wolf and now with all this technology they can mix this stuff but my son Craig made that CD come alive with the arrangements and so that money was well invested in his education at Berkeley. Well, not only that, but you had an appreciation for what he was pursuing because you had already been a musician, uh, a singer-songwriter for a while when he went to uh, uh, school at the Berkeley School of Music. Right? Yeah, I just didn't have the formal uh, education. You know, I'm pretty much self-taught, picked up things as I went. Uh, but uh, it was a great it was a great experience for me, one, seeing how gifted my son is until you get into the studio and you start coming up with ideas on how to make it sound better. What was the inspiration be, be behind uh, Hurry Up, uh, Sun Up? Oh, that was, uh, you know, uh, one of those leaving you songs. It's sort of like, uh, you know, Hurry Up, Sun Up, and I'll Be Gone, you know, uh, almost a Merle Haggard type of song, but written in that in that 70 styles of the mamas and papas. That awkward period between... Um, um uh, uh, the fall of night and, and the sun rising when, when you'll be leaving. Um, l- let's talk a little bit about, uh, in general, how your one profession of medicine may have influenced your other profession. And, and, and in fact, let's, let's jump right into a, a more recent uh, production. Even as you prepare to go in uh, to produce uh, a new uh, album of songs, uh, and, and a new CD, um, your last um, uh, production um, was um, Waiting for the Call. Yes. And, 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 and that is a direct bridge between uh, the two uh, passions. Tell Absolutely. us about Waiting Absolutely. for the Call. Waiting for the Call um, came to be uh, a patient of mine uh, whose name I can mention, mention uh, Harriet Boger. Uh, Harriet came so close to dying from this disease, pulmonary fibrosis, that I mentioned before, uh, and at the last minute got a transplant and survived and did well. And uh, on one of her visits to see me, she said, um, well, you know, Clint, I'm very casual with my patients. She says, you know, the hardest part of the entire ordeal, ordeal was waiting for the call that you finally had lungs for me and not knowing if I'd live long enough to get that call. And that sort of resonated in my head for a long time uh, and ultimately led to this song. Now, as I was crafting this song, I contacted her husband, and he and I sort of conspired 
to spring this song on her at Eddie's attic, and I would, I wanted to use imagery of of uh, flowers in this song, and so I asked him, "Well, do you have roses?" "Yes, we have roses." And what is her favorite uh, flower? Uh, "Lilies of the Valley," and so that comes into the song, which has all these connotations of Easter and the resurrection and getting a transplant, and so. At Eddie's Attic in March of 2010, uh, we had about 75 people turn out when I did an open mic, and she was there, and we surprised her with this song. And so the photos on the cover of the CD are from all that. Now, regrettably, Harriet, uh, who did well for so long and was one of our star patients, she developed some of the complications of uh, lung transplantation and passed away. But, the, the uh, you know, I... I had the song uh, recorded in a studio and made copies of it and give individuals a copy of the song after their transplant and give to others as another way of increasing awareness of the need of, uh, of organ donation. And in some ways, Harriet lives on through this song. You know, Clint, I, I, I think that that song is yet another uh, example that uh, it, it exemplifies, uh, if you will, your, um, your compassion. As uh, as both a uh, musician, singer songwriter, and uh, as a physician, uh, well, thank you. Uh, the, the after it, it may be that I was programmed to to be uh, uh, sensitive, uh, but after I initially met you, there was um, a uh, short segment uh, I saw uh, on TV that uh, talked about. Uh, that uh, situation uh, uh, of waiting uh, for uh, uh, an organ to be available for a, a transplant, and um, uh, it, it caused me to think about it and 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 what it must be like to be in limbo, uh, to be waiting uh, to see if the, an organ does materialize or doesn't. And your life in the balance is it's got to be one of the most uh, awkward situations to ever be in. Yeah, I, I can only relate to what my patients tell me because so many of the things we do in medicine, you know, we just schedule it and have it done. Uh, but uh, it does seem to wear on people. You know, it's stressful. It can be depressing, and you, and you don't know if you're going to run out of time before you get that transplant. The um, the new album, the new recording that will. Um, be uh, coming uh, coming out soon. Uh, anything you can share, and if there are titles that are yeah. only working titles. Uh, well, I, I'll share uh, a little bit of how the songs came to be. As you know, at, at Emory we had uh, the first two Ebola patients, and the uh, who were missionaries. I was not involved in their care, but I started praying for them uh, and for their recovery. And then the prayer led to a song. Uh, and then that led to another song, and so I'm going to record these songs and hopefully be taking them to Nashville soon and seeing if others are interested in them. Uh, writing um, what could be a poem or a prayer, a hymn, a song, you know, I can I can see the relationship, um, and, and, I, and, and my guess is that's how your songs begin, is with uh, those kinds of thoughts put down in... Um, prayer-like, hymn-like, verse-like uh, form. Yeah, I would say that I'm sort of lyrically driven. You know, I'll come up with a thought and lyrics, and then I'll try to come up with a melody to match it. Uh, other people are more melody. You know, they'll, they may write the whole melody and get someone else to write the lyrics, but I'm, I'm more of a verbal, lyrically driven person. Well, Dr. Lawrence, 
and Clint. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to be in the business hour. Um, I imagine you are a, a great physician, and uh, people can uh, make their own judgment about your music by going to www.clintlawrence.com. ClintLawrenceMusic.com. You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Radio. We're on from 10 to 11 a.m. on Friday mornings. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the radio next week. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.